In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, give you great thanks and praise of this day. Stay in the resurrection. Help us to love you and to serve you and open our hearts to you and be obedient to your word. Amen. I was blessed to have been uh, given the opportunity in the spring of 2019, or in May 2019, I got to go on a 30-day silent retreat. And in my time, usually guys go on it during, during their time in seminary, but I didn't have the opportunity in my time in seminary. So I had, the, for whatever reason, the time in my, in my priesthood, so I just decided to go. And 30 days of silence seems dramatic, but it's really, if you've been to Kairos, Kairos is a four-day retreat. This is a four-week retreat. So it's just Kairos is based off of the four weeks. Um, but it's very, very, very beautiful. It was, it was a very, very fruitful time to be quiet in my heart and just pray with Jesus for 30 days. Let's pray for our first responders. So part of the day, so I have a whole day, 24 hours a day of silence. Right? So you sleep for eight hours, and I prayed five holy hours a day, which is the norm of the, of the retreat. And then you have like 10 hours to kill the rest of the day, and I can't talk. So, whatever. so I would exercise every day, and I went on two long walks every day. And where the retreat house was situated was in the middle of nowhere. It was farmlands for miles around. So I'd go for a long walk every single day, and I went the same exact path every day because I didn't want to get lost in this foreign country and then didn't have my cell phone with me. So every single day, twice a day, for 30 days, I walked past the same farm. And I was, I was watching their, their own crops growing. And it was very beautiful. And it honestly became one of the most fruitful parts of, uh, of my retreat because I understood why Christ preaches so much about growing and then farming, all these things as, as analogies. So the two fruits I really took from, from those walks in that time of my retreat was one, that growth is very slow, very meticulous, and it has to be that way. It's by design that it grows slowly, but it's constantly growing. It doesn't just kind of spring up and go back down. It's a constant, slow, meticulous growth with depths of roots and takes time and maturity, and you have to let it be over a long period of time. And that's okay. That's how God works, especially when it comes to a life of faith, a life of virtue, a holiness, whatever it is, it's a journey. It takes a long time. That's number one. Number two, that everything comes from God. Everything is from God. Everything. Imagine if the farmer was like, the fruit of this growth is because of me. I did the work. Maybe. But did you create the soil? Did you create the seed? Did you, create, did you invent water? Did you, did you create the sun? Did you even create yourself? No, everything comes from God. Everything is from, is from God. And the fruitfulness is thereof. And even Isaiah is preaching today. Isaiah, we hear from Isaiah, he says, talking about God. He will give us rain for the seed which, which you sow the ground and the grain. And the produce, the produce of the ground which will be rich and plentiful. God gives us everything. It all comes from God. So when we enter into the gospel, the analogy of the gospel, the parable of the gospel... The Gospel of the Sower, very famous, very popular, very common parable we hear. For whatever reason, my prayer went to the fruitfulness of the last one. How to bear a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. When you really hear it, what does Jesus say? He says, those who hears my word and understands it, bears fruit. We have to want to understand it. And what are we understanding? That we, need, that we believe in the God of the universe who created all of humanity incarnated himself in Jesus Christ, suffered and died for our salvation, resurrected, and gives himself body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. That's crazy. 
And because we understand that, we heard it, and now we understand it, we want to bear fruit. We should want to grow in holiness. We should want to grow in our spiritual life. We should want to grow in love of God. That has to be on us and our desire. What happens? The first part of the parable. There's things in our lives that keep us away from that love of God. The seed that's sown on the hard path, the seed that's sown in shallow ground, the seed that's sown, that's sown amongst thorns. And for me, as I was praying with it, I really entered into each of the, the temptations in a negative way, then we'll get to the positive, in a negative way that draws away from God. Think of the seed sown on the path, right? Imagine a, a concrete floor, right? The seed comes, it has the inability to penetrate, the inability to go deep and to even get roots, not even to start. And I was praying with that, I was like, I'm very thankful as a Chaldean that there are no hard-headed Chaldeans, no stubborn Chaldeans. This would never describe my people, ever, right? Quite the opposite. Okay, so what happens? The stubbornness of our hearts, right? Think of the, we all know somebody who you have the inability to preach Jesus to because they won't even try to receive it. There's a stubbornness there. And the seed comes and goes and they have lost fulfillment of life. Because of stubbornness, because of self, self-righteousness or arrogance. And then the seed sowed with a shallow depth. Think of that, my prayer went today, of those who live by passions, who live by their emotions. Whether they're happy or joyful or sad or angry. Think of the sexual temptations of our lives. right? Where we, we are controlled by our passions. And therefore we don't control them. And it's hard to grow in a life of faith if our passions control us. And then obviously the one with the thorns and choke, the worries and things of the world that can choke the world, can choke the word. And we put too much emphasis on the things of this world and it draws us down. Now it's a balance. There has to be a balance, right? Because we're not called to be weak in our faith or weak in the things. We should be firm in what we believe and stand firm in it. Not arrogant, not stubborn, but firm and strong in what we believe and why we believe it. We should, of course, have emotions, we're not robots. We are, we are meant to be happy, sad at certain points. There's a healthy understanding of emotions, and therefore we should enter into those emotions with that health and try to be mature in them. And obviously, things of this world. We live in this world. We have to eat. We have to drink. We have to have a house. We have to pay for parking lots, right? Things like that. Things that are just part of our lives that exist. So what do we do? I was praying this week. I had a friend visit in town. He's a monk. He's a Chaldean monk in California. And I was just talking to him. We had lunch. We were praying together. Um, and just praying with that life. Think of our, our Chaldean sisters, them too. Like, they enter into this religious life and they enter into it so specifically. And it's nothing new. From the time of Jesus, from right after the resurrection of Jesus, people wanted to live holy lives and they knew that the lures of this world or stubbornness or over-emotionness would draw them away from it. So what do they do? They live dramatic lives of poverty, chastity and obedience they take vows of poverty chastity and obedience but they combat these things poverty combats the desires of this world chastity combats the emotional drive and the passions of our hearts it controls them and matures them and obedience when we're obedient to god when we're obedient to another person like for me to my bishop it automatically makes me less stubborn it forces me to be obedient whatever god wants that's hard. That's challenging. But all of us, every single one of us, are called to live out poverty, chastity, and obedience in different ways. 
right? The religious, very kind of to an extreme. They really, have, they own nothing. Their clothes aren't their clothes. Their houses aren't their houses. They have their, their celibacy, obviously, and chase celibacy. For me as a secular priest, it's a little less. Like I have an income and I, I own my own car. But for all of you, whether you're a student, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're healthy, whether you're dying, you're all called as Christians and followers of Jesus who have heard the word of God and as we desire to grow deeper in love of God to bear fruit in our lives, this is how we do it. This is the analogy Christ is giving us and this is the method by which to do it. it is to embrace the spirituality of poverty, chastity, and obedience. We have to do that. This is how we grow in love of God. Otherwise, we become the one who hears the word of God but doesn't want to follow it. Or hears the word of God that doesn't understand it. Do we understand what we really believe in the incarnation of God, in the resurrection of Jesus? There's more to this life. So if, you, if you're the one who hears the word of God and you want to bear fruit, you want to be fruitful in your life, you want to grow in love of God, ask yourself, in the heart of your hearts, how are you growing in these three virtues, in these three counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience? Where is God calling you to go deeper with it, to be obedient to his words, to control your emotions, and be detached from material things? Amen.